And I think it's very interesting today, we're, we're, we're wrapping up the Jonah series as we're in missions month. And, and, and as we've gone through, I think back into 2018, I love how long we sit in books here. Um, Pastor Michael takes his time. But it's so, like, our Hebrews, for young adults, we've been in it since May, and I love you young adults, we'll probably be in it till like June, July. Um, from last year to this year. It's so good. But what I love is in this book, we've seen so much go on. I mean, we start in Jonah 1.1. When the Lord speaks to Jonah, he says, 1.1, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. I mean, this is, this is modern-day Iraq. And these people, let's be honest, they're not friends of God's people. They don't like him. And so Jonah does not want to go. He doesn't want to obey God, and he runs in the other direction, and he's fleeing to Tarshish. So he goes, and he, he jumps on a ship, and, and he's running. Shane was wanting to build a ship and have me preach in the ship. Um, I was like, no, no, we're not doing that. Uh, but he, he's fleeing from God. He's fleeing from the presence of God. And God sends this massive storm that almost sinks the ship. And the sailors on board that do not worship the one true Lord of the Bible turns to Jonah in 1.8 and says, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where are you from? What, what is your country? And what of people are you? And Jonah says, Man, I am a Hebrew, in verse 9. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And so they continually talk, and the sailors know that this storm is because Jonah is fleeing the Lord. And we see that in, in verse 10, and then it picks up again. Jonah's response, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me this great tempest has come upon you. And the sailors actually do it because they fear the Lord exceedingly. Verse 16, the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Remember that word exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Many think that they actually repented and turned to him. And Jonah, or Jonah uh, surrenders himself to the Lord there. And then right at the end of chapter 1, we see in verse 17 how this large fish was appointed by the Lord to swallow him up. See that as Jonah is running, God is pursuing. And then in chapter 2, we see that Jonah is praying. He wrestles and he talks with the Lord. And at the very end of it, we see in verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, I'm sorry, even reading through that, this chapter this, uh, this week and last week, um, even when I hear the word vomit, I, I have a very bad gag reflex uh, that, like, even when I hear that word or the noise, I don't know if you're like me, it's just like, I get away from me, Satan. Um, I don't want you around. And we see that he's on this dry land, and he goes to Nineveh. Now, he makes his way to this abundant, this great ancient city of Nineveh, and, and he preaches, he preaches eight words, eight words. In verse 4, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
he preaches eight words to this great ancient city. And he does the bare minimum that God told him to do. And we see that Jonah, he doesn't care about these people, and he doesn't love them at all. But God does something amazing. We have a God of miracles. And we read in verse 10 of chapter 3, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Jonah preached eight words. Eight words. And a massive revival breaks out. I mean, how amazing is that? Guys, can we get like a hallelujah, amen? There was a massive revival. I'm so sorry, Nathan, for yelling in the mic. Um, How amazing is that? People turned to God. They said, I don't want my sin. I don't want this anymore. God, help us. We need you. We don't want this. We want you. How amazing is that? And and I look, and as there should be a, I mean, I love this word, joyful celebration as repented sinners who have come and experienced God's grace and mercy, Jonah should be the one leaping for joy and thanksgiving. I mean, he just witnessed one of the greatest, if not the greatest, revivals in history. Now, if I was Pastor Michael, you'd see me do a little shuck and drive and, whoo, hey, hallelujah. But we see that even though God has poured out his mercy, going back earlier, out onto the sailors, poured out his mercy to the citizens of Nineveh, and even to Jonah in the belly of the fish, we see that Jonah's bitter and angry at God. And so I think the author is wanting us to see today the big idea of the text, that Jonah's actions and attitude gives us an example of what a callous heart, a hardened heart looks like when we judge our enemies instead of showing them mercy and grace. And so let's pray today as we get into the text, Father God, you are good. God, you are gracious, you are compassionate, you are loving, you are holy, you are righteous. Words can't even come to mind at how good and perfect you are. Lord, I pray today that as we look at your word, Lord, help us see more of you. As we see more of you, Lord, I think and I pray we get an honest picture of ourselves. Let us see the mercy that you have given to us, the grace that you have given to us. And Lord, I pray that we pour out just as much as we can that you have given to us already to those that we do not like, that we may even consider our enemies. For it is always for your glory alone we pray. Amen. All right, here we go. Jonah 1, or 4, 1. Here we go, ready? Oh, I am so excited. But it says this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Remember I said, remember that word, Jonah 4.1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, for he, and he was angry. 
Now, now I, I, it's interesting because I was reading this and I was talking to a couple people. How amazing would it have been if the book of Jonah just stopped at chapter 3, right at the end of it? Man, this great revival happens. Cool. Awesome story. Great. You know, it's like a movie. Hey, good note. Cool. End credits. We're good. But I think the author wants us, I think God wants us to see truly Jonah's heart here. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah wasn't displeased, he was exceedingly displeased. He wasn't just mad, he, he, was, he was pissed. He was mad. What caused him to be mad? The city of Nineveh had turned to God, and God did not destroy them. Jonah didn't like that. So it has me asking a question. First question of today, what makes us angry? What makes us angry? Have we been angry with God before? Have we been angry with him? And when we get angry, are we angry about the things that God is angry about? Do the things that, that cause him to be angry, are those the same things that cause us to get angry? Anger is not a sin. Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger do not sin. James 1.19 verse uh, 120, the if you remember, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Jonah wasn't angry with what God was angry about. Jonah was angry with a selfish human anger. And, and it was not a godly anger. It was that God did not destroy Nineveh. Jonah was angry at God because he felt that he deserved God's mercy and grace, and Nineveh, they shouldn't have had it. God Man, thank you for saving me in that big fish. But those people, I mean, those people for reals? God, you know what they've done. You really want to save them? Well, fine. Fine then, if that's how you want to be. We <laughs> and we read in verse uh, 2, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a righteous God, or gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relentless from disaster. See, I love this because the same event that calmed God's anger or destruction is the same event that provoked Jonah's anger. And we see now Jonah having an honest prayer to God. Now, remember, the last time that Jonah prayed to God was in the belly of the fish. Now that he's on dry land, we see him pray again. As we look that he's now on dry land, he, he, he is not in the belly of the fish, the, the, the stink, the smell that was going on. Wouldn't we expect that Jonah be a little bit more grateful that he was alive on dry land? But no, it, it's not only he's, he's not mad, he, he is miserable. This shows that Jonah knew God as we look more and more, as it says, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. 
Jonah knew God and knew the characteristics of God. He gives his first reason, his initial reason for running. He knew that if the Ninevites repented, God would show them mercy. And this is not what Jonah wanted. He didn't like them. He did not like these people. And, and he knew that if, as he was first called, and he knew, God, if, if they do repent, you're going to show them mercy. So I'm going to justify my reason. God, I don't want to go. And I don't want to go because I know your character. I, knew who, I know who you are. In Jonah's point of view, the forgiveness God showed the Ninevites jeopardized his covenant with Israel. It's that them versus us mentality. That it created a conflict of interest as God promised to Israel, and then it's the covering of mercy. This caused Jonah, and it scares me to say this, it caused Jonah to try and play God. And, and what I mean by that is Jonah tries to turn God against God. We see that Jonah tried to quote God's word back to him in a warped desire to show that he, Jonah, was right and that God was wrong. Verse, uh, verse 2. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. This is actually from Exodus 34, 6 and 7. If you just turn there, it says, The Lord, the Lord. This is the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Is God saying who he is and the characteristics of who he is after Israel worshipped the golden calf, and he's giving them new tablets. And as we see, and this scares me, we see that, that, that Jonah quotes God here, and it causes me to think, who else quoted Scripture against God? Satan. Think how mad, think how miserable Jonah was. Think how rebellious his heart was. Jonah wants to make the rules and tell God what to do. I mean, in these moments, it's like Jonah's wanting to be God. And it causes, we could see, because I know who you are, because I wanted to flee from you, because I know that, that you are a God of mercy and a God of grace, verse 3, therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is the second time and seeing that he is so unhappy and angry in his obedience that his obedience is no better than his disobedience. I mean, God, take my life. I can't do it, but, but you can do it. Take my life, because I don't want to be in a place where they're still alive. Where his obedience is literally disobedience. One of my favorite sections um, of Scripture that I continually go back to from time to time, because I see more and more truths is, is the, the parable of the prodigal son in, in Luke 15. In Luke 15, 25, I think it, it, it's amazing, and we see the actual other brothers, sometimes I think we forget in the prodigal son story, and it says this in verse 25. Now his older son, the father's son, 
was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entered, uh, entreated him, begged him. But he answered his father, look these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. I mean, we see this other son out in the field hearing this massive party go on calls her, hey, what's going on, man? Is there, what's happening? Man, your brother came home. Hey, your brother came home, man. He's back. Let's, let's party, dude. What? Nah. <laughs> nah. The dad comes, son, come. Come, your, your brother is here. Your brother has returned. And look at his response in verse 29. Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, did we see him say, hey, this, this young goat, I want to celebrate with us? Do we see him say, hey, this young, co- this young goat, where is it for us? No, it's for him and his friends. And, and then even worse... But when this son of yours came, he doesn't even relate to his brother. He doesn't even call his brother his brother. Your son. Yes, he stayed the whole time. Yes, he, he listened and said, hey, yes, yes sir, I, I, will, I will take out the trash today. Yes, sir, I'll pick up that dog poop. Yes, sir, I'll make my bed. There's no relationship with the father, though. He doesn't care about his dad. Truth be told, he only cares about what he, he's going to get from his dad. We see Jonah. Well, I listen to you, God. Isn't that enough? Told you what told told them what you wanted me to tell them. I said eight words. See, when we listen to the Father, he did what the Father wanted in Luke 15, but he didn't care about his relationship with the Father, just like Jonah and God. And we see Jonah so sad, and it causes me to ask a question, a second one. What makes us sad? What makes us sad? When our emotions come, it's good to take a second and see where those emotions are coming from and why we feel that way. We've got to ask the question, what motivates our emotions? Because we see that, that Jonah has good theology, theos, God, study of. He had good theology, but his heart was bad. Jonah doesn't like what God has done. Jonah's hurt became his hate. Jonah knows who God is, but Jonah doesn't like him. And I think sometimes we can believe the lie that good theology is good enough. Man, I could recite scripture 20 days out of the week. Man, I could quote a whole book of the Bible. 
but have we had this information affect our heart? Has the knowledge of who God is and what he has done caused us to view people the way he has viewed them? To show compassion the way he has showed compassion to us? See, God is wanting us to see that he, it, it, he has love, he has grace, he has empathy, he has mercy, he has compassion for everybody. Not just people like you and me. It's not just grace for me and law for them. It's not just mercy for me and you. Hopefully God helps you. And we see that it causes, I mean, look at verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Just imagine how exhausted Jonah is. I mean, I, let's be honest. Hating people is exhausting. Emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, it leaves us drained. We just get so tired, and we see that Jonah is so tired of this. But as God is gracious to him more and more, we see that God shows up when, when Jonah needs him. And he says in verse 4, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Now I love this because God's asking him a question. Jonah, who's in charge? The, the NASB, I, I love this translation because it says, do you have a good reason to be angry? I mean, it, it, imagine Jonah right now is having the biggest hissy fit of all time. It's like that kid in the candy store that didn't get that candy bar, that we've all, we've all either had that child or like me, we look and we see that kid like begging and screaming and on the floor throwing his hands and feet up in the air, kicking the cart, kicking the candy section over, wanting that one piece of candy, and we're like looking at the parent like, man, this kid is crazy. <laughs> and that's how Jonah's asking. But I love this because in this, we just see God asking me, Jonah, you know that I'm glorified when people turn from embracing their sins to embracing me as their God. Jonah, I'm in the redeeming and restoring business. I sought them out to see if they'd turn or if they're going to meet their destruction. I gave them a choice, and they chose me. They turned to me, and I saved them. If you go to Luke 15, 7, I love this passage after the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I mean, imagine, we're going to read later on, 120,000 people turn to God. I mean, I, I would love for us to have a huge party right here. I mean, snow cone machine, I love the grape flavored, cotton candy machine for the kids, maybe a nacho bar, huge celebration, big music, 120 people turn to Jesus, turn to God. 
And like the title, we see Jonah being a party pooper. I love the fact that I could have that as a title and not get in trouble. Um, But that's what we see Jonah doing. Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry? Do you have good re- a good reason to be angry when people are turning away from their sin and turning to me? Should that make you angry? For me, and to be honest, uh, I-, I love going to camps. One of the things I-, I struggle with camps is just the way I grew up. Altar calls, I was always told, not, not, not really a good thing. I- it was just the way I was, I was brought up, the idea that, that, hey, anybody can put their hand up and say, man, I trust in Jesus, and then it's a check mark off, and hey, I'm going back to living my lifestyle the way I did. And so I remember going to camps, and I remember seeing this happen, and it caused my heart to be bitter. I'm being 100% honest. Usually Wednesday nights when we go to summer camps, it's, it's labeled cry night. Cry night because they, they present the gospel, and they, they dim the lights. You know, they play some really good songs. The pastor speaks in a low voice. You see your leaders kind of going to the sides. I remember talking uh, to one of my buddies who was speaking up at our our camp we go to, Thousand Pines. And uh, it was amazing because we were talking and we were talking about experience. And I go, man, to me the biggest thing is as these students profess that Jesus is Lord and Savior of their life, that they seek to glorify him in all areas of their life, as we're tr- continually being transformed to be more like Jesus, it scares me that, that, that we can have a mountaintop experience. Because to me, as we stand justified before God, one time and one time alone, that, that we are saved by, by grace through faith in what Christ and only Christ can do, there's that sanctification, what, what I call an ongoing spiritual transformation, OST, that we're becoming more like Christ. And so I, I was talking to him, I go, man, like that, that's, that to me is a battle. I, I, I want to see students just treasure Jesus and then live lifestyles. And I, I get nervous because we just, we just make this a big old party, but then we forget about this sometimes. And so that night we were talking about it, and I loved it. Uh, that night, the service was kind of like everything else, and then we get to this point, and he goes, hey, I'm going to ask if anybody wants to, to declare with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and know in their heart that he is who he is. But what we're not going to do is we're not going to have you close your eyes and keep your head bowed down and just put your hand up. What we're going to do, we're going to have a celebration. But I don't want you to, to stand up because your, your friend sitting next to you is standing up, and I don't want you to stand up because you think your parents are going to be happy or that it's going to please your youth pastor. I want you to stand up if you truly want to make this declaration and that you're truly going to go home and you're going to try to change your life because Christ is changing you from, from within to out. So I remember sitting there in the back, and I'm praying the whole night. And he goes, and he lays the gospel, and he says, hey, if, if you want to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior, if you want to make this public declaration that he is your Savior and your Lord for the rest of your life, stand up. And there was people that stood up. And as they stood up, man, whoo, party, party, party. We had a huge party. I remember when I was first uh, being interviewed here, it was, it was at the kind of the end of the process, and I remember sitting over where Michael was at when I came, and I loved the service. 
I remember it was after VBS because there's all these robots on the backside for parents to pick up. I remember the music. It, it, it was both high and low, loud and quiet. There was a mixture of people. The biblical teaching was being taught verse by verse. And then I remember Pastor Michael coming up and giving an invitation. And myself, I go, ooh. And I started praying. And then sure enough, after, I remember him coming back up and saying, hey, if you made a public declaration for Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, come up today. We got people who are wanting to pray for you, to talk to you, to get you plugged in, because we want to see you grow more and more. And it was in that moment that I knew this place is where I want to call home. That it was in this place that we teach the word of God and that we want other people to know him, to rejoice in him, to glorify him in all areas of life. Because see, at the end of the day, we're, no matter who you are, we're all works in progress. And we see that in verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and made a booth for himself there. Now, apparently, Jonah was still hoping that God might carry out the original threat to overthrow Nineveh in 40 days, so he goes up on a hill and waits to see. I mean, mind you, if, if you were known uh, Nineveh, he, he, Jonah's just like, all right, God, you do what you're going to do. I got 40 days. I'm good. Let's see this happen. Maybe they really didn't repent. Maybe it's just superficial. God, did, did they really love you? I mean, did they, God, I mean, do they just like you? Maybe they don't love you. Maybe they really didn't repent. They, maybe they just said some words. And we see Jonah take a back seat for a second. And for 40 days, he's willing to stay there. He had a great view of the city, so he camped outside on the hill. And he built this structure, this booth. I mean, think of how mad he still had to have been. Think how, how angry he is. These people, these people, let's be honest, are the, the, like the great, 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 great granddaddies of ISIS. He hated them. And so he's hoping that God will still do something. In verse 6, he says, Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up from uh, over Jonah that he might be a shade over his head so that him or so to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah, I love this, was exceedingly glad because of the plant. For the second time, we see in the first one in chapter 1 with the great fish, God appoints nature to change Jonah's perspective regarding his relationship between justice and mercy. He wants Jonah to have a change of view. And God uses both the fish and the plant to deliver Jonah and hopes to. The fish delivered Jonah from the consequences of his rebellious running from God, while the plant was designed to deliver Jonah from the misery of his conflict with God. Both are symbols of grace to Jonah. 
And we see in verse 6 this plant. Some consider it was a vine. Some consider it was a gourd. Many believe it was a, a castrol oil plant. These, these leaves look like those things when it's running or raining in the, the, uh, the jungle that you would like create a funnel and you'd have the water go in your mouth. Huge leaves. And it was to serve two functions. One, to provide shade for Jonah because he knew that this booth that Jonah had built wouldn't stand a chance against its surroundings. So he causes the, the, the plant to serve as a shade for Jonah and to deliver him from misery. And I love how it says in verse 6, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. The third time we see the word exceedingly, the first time in this whole book we see him happy. He's happy because of a plant. Most of you parents in here hate seeing weeds come out of the ground. As a male in a family, the first and only boy, I hated seeing weeds because that meant my Saturday morning was done picking the weeds. And we don't see Jonah get happy because of a revival. We see him happy because of this plant for shade. And it causes me to ask, what makes us happy? What makes us happy? Is it, is it seeing this plant that's going to give us shade? Man, I'm a big boy and I love shade. I'll be honest. But do I find greater joy on a hot day having shade or seeing someone come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? And so we see in verse 7, but when dawn came up the next morning, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, verse 8, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. See, when he says another time that God appointed, this is part of God's deliverance of Jonah's heart. This plant symbolizes Jonah or God's mercy of shading him, and the worms symbolize God's judgment. Whenever we think of worms, for me, I either think of dirt in fifth grade, playing in the, in the, in the dirt by the, that sounds so weird, um, by like the playpens and all that. Why was I playing with playpens in, in fifth grade? I don't know. Um, but, but we see that this heat, because the plant died, it rose up real quick, it died real quick, that now he is in plain sun. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. This withering of the plant left Jonah exposed to the sun's intense heat. And this heat, as it was coming out of the desert, as it was attacking him, Jonah was getting hotter. And it was in this very moment that Jonah needed that plant, God took it away. It's in this very situation that this is what Jonah was wanting Nineveh to go through. And, and mind you, I love being in Corona, but when we got those 116 days, degree temperature days, it is no fun. I remember one of the first times I, I experienced it, I was walking out of the office to uh, Shane's car because we get Starbucks and we love coffee around here. I was wearing a black collared shirt and I was like, God, do you really want me in Corona? <laughs> like, is it? Why are we so hot out here? And see, Jonah's stubbornness is about 
to cause him to faint as he continues to sit up on the hill, being away from everybody. And it causes me to think, question four, do we care more about things than people? Do we care more about things than people? Because Jonah cared more about things than people, but God cares more about people than things. We see in the the end of verse 8, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah, he's to this point where, where he's just like, God, I want these people to die. I want destruction. Cause them to die. Why are we doing this? Why are they still here? And let's be honest. I remember when September 11th happened. I remember seeing planes go into the, tra- the trade towers. I wish I could say that my first response was, God, I pray for all those people. I pray for even those who caused that pain. Pray for the family of those people. And we see this counseling session begin with Jonah and God. And, and through the rest of the chapter, we see God have this conversation with Jonah and asking him, who's in charge, Jonah? This idea of lordship, verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Does it cause you to be, does it, is it good for you to be angry with this plant? And as Jonah was so callous of heart and stubborn towards God, Jonah kept missing it. God still cared for Jonah, and he was trying to rebuke him by reminding him that he was venting about a plant, a helpless plant that solved none of his problems. Even though God sent the plant, despite Jonah's rebellious attitude toward God and the the Ninevites and their conversion. And so we see in verse 10, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which it came into being in a night and perished in the night. God's saying to him, Jonah, are you finally getting concerned about a plant? Jonah, I love you, but it's, but it's a plant. It's nothing. Why are you sad? I gave it as a gift. I mean, you didn't work for it. You, you, you didn't do anything for it to make it grow. Jonah, I gave you a gift. Can I give them a gift too? How many times have we just said, God, I'll take your grace and mercy, but then how many times do we show, hey, uh, what about them, though? And it causes us to have this them versus us mentality. And we see this question that I think is the last one. Are we so thankful for God's grace that we want to keep it for ourselves? Verse 11, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there is more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. You know, many scholars say there's two things. Either those 120 people are, who, who do not know their right hand from their left, either they're just so morally confused that they don't know what's good or bad, 
or that these are children. 120,000 children. And God's saying, hey, Jonah, 120,000 children. Turn to Jesus. Turn to God. That, that doesn't make you happy? You're mad about that? Look how many people have been saved. And, and for you Norco people, and he also brings up cattle. Jonah, you get happy for a plant. You don't care about people. What about cattle? Do you care about the cattle? Where does our heart lie? See, God knows everybody in every city. God, God cares for everybody in every city. And so my last question is just going back to the question I had before. What do we care about? Do we care more about people than things? Jonah's hurt caused him to hate. And so literally, as he went into the city of Nineveh, he only said eight words. I mean, we come here Sundays. I love Sundays. I love Sundays. It's a reflection of what I hope we're doing throughout the week as we're continually studying God's word, uh, as we're asking questions, as we're diving deeper, as we're spending time with ourselves and others seeking to glorify him as we come as one family here on Sunday morning to celebrate and grow more in him. But the question is, do we say, well, well, this is my gift and you can't have it. I don't want you to have it. God's grace is good. It's amazing. Best thing ever. Best gift anyone can have. But hey, it's mine. Not yours. Don't touch it. Don't even think about it. Or, like Luke 15, 7 says, oh man, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jonah cared more about things, not people. But God cares more about people, not things. Let's be a church that seeks out the lost, that desires them to repent and treasure God. Let's not be a church of party poopers. Let's be a church that's filled with joy, that wants everyone to experience. Ooh, I mean, like, hey, let's get the band out here. I want to worship. Um, it, it's one of these things. Man, hey, when we treasure Jesus, there is nothing, no situation, no hardship that can change our view. Because we know at the end of the day, man, our hope does not lie in the things of this world. The joy is in what Christ has done and who he is. That we go, hey, the situations we may face, the people in our lives, hey, we may have people that hate us, but how are we going to treat them? I mean, I, I imagine people do not like Corey. But Corey goes out and loves on him. Corey goes out and loves on these kids. They don't know him, but he's going to love them. What are we going to do in a town where where we don't really have too many people that hate us. Are we going to say, well, this is my gift. You don't get this. Or are we going to go, hey, come over here. <laughs> I got something.
got something good. You want to talk about joy? You want to talk about happiness? Ooh, there's nothing better. So the question is, are we going to be party poopers? Are we going to be celebrating? Father God, we come before you now. Lord, I pray today, Lord, wherever our hearts are, whether we're in this city wanting to see people grow and treasure you, enjoy you above all things, or Lord, let's be honest, some of us may be up on the hill. Lord, I pray you give us a heart that seeks you, that is honest with you, that as we've experienced the greatest joy a relationship with you, that we want other people to do the same. Let us get to know you more. Let us get to love you more. And let us get to love others more, to experience the greatest joy that anyone can have. For it is always for your glory we pray. Amen.